Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning and welcome to Talk Money here on AM 990. I'm Keith Quinn in for Jim Shoemaker, the hardest working man in show business. And we have got a great show for you today. I'm joined in the studio by Jason Harrington, Managing Director at Shoemaker Financial. Jason is going to be talking to us about some tips as we start getting closer to retirement and we think about counting down to retirement. That's going to be in the second half of the show. I certainly hope you can stick around for that. But first, in a few minutes, we are going to have Chris Sebald. Chris is the president and Chief Investment Officer of Advantage Capital Management. Chris has got some great insights for us on the economy, some of the things we're looking for in the second half of this year. And Chris is an expert in a lot of areas, but he's really an expert on the bond markets, on interest rates. We're going to dive a little deeper on that, talk about one of Jason's favorite subjects, quantitative easing, what that really means, you know, help our clients to understand that. Jason, good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Keith. How are you doing? Good Friday here, right? Good Friday, and it was a good uh, Thursday yesterday. You know, Jason, obviously, I watch the markets quite a bit. Uh, yesterday, we had the first time since December of 1999 that all three major indices set a new high. The Dow Jones Industrial Average made up of 30 large-cap stocks. The S&P 500 made up of 500 large-cap stocks, represents about 80% of the U.S. stock market. And finally, NASDAQ, which represents the tech stocks. So, really good news. That's you know what we news. talked about, lots of volatility, but going on and setting new highs, which we always like to see. I figured we had a good day. I was in the gym and all the uh, old guys in the gym seemed to be pretty They're happy. Pretty happy. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, the television had a lot of green on it. Yeah, right, you know, right. So That's I, always I good. Was, yeah, I noticed it was pretty good market yesterday. We love that. And we again, we love to see these improvements in the economy. Chris uh, Seabald again is coming up and he's going to be talking to us some more about that. Jason, I've got to say, one of the other things that I've been caught up a little bit in, uh, this week, and it's it's watching an event, and it's an event that comes around every four years. Uh, this one doesn't have an orange-haired clown, so this is not the presidential election <laughs> I'm talking about. It's, of course, the Olympics. I think the Olympics are just a great event, incredibly oh, inspiring. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed watching. I, I love the Olympics. I mean, it's it's one of those things that I get – I find myself mesmerized. Like, next thing you know, I've been sitting there for – Oh, an right, hour and right. a half watching, you know, handball or something like that. You know, <laughs> sports that you don't really see a whole a whole ton of. You know, and I this weekend get caught up in swimming. Swimming is always a fascinating sport to see these athletes doing. It. What's I your favorite sport? So I like I, for the Summer Olympics. I like swimming, but I like the gymnastics. I love watching the women's team. I, you know, I do too. I like the gymnastics. I love. Uh, I, I like seeing uh, golf is coming back. Golf is you coming know, back. I think right, that'd be right. that'd be interesting. I love watching. Uh, uh, the volleyball, the indoor volleyball, indoor volleyball, that gets me. The ball is going a million miles an hour. I don't see how they say how they do it. And speaking of that, you know, I had watched uh, some of the table tennis. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, the way these guys are serving that. I just, it's yes. amazing. It's, you know, it they really have, is. China has a dynasty. And when it comes to the table tennis, right. you know, they have a rule now. And I didn't know this. I was l looking at some things on the, on the internet about the Olympics and, uh, used to, you could enter as many players, the country could enter as many players that qualified right. for table tennis, and, 
Every year, China was winning gold, silver, bronze, both men's and we- men and women. And they had a set a rule: you can now only enter two athletes per. Just to uh, just to, to, just to the, stop uh, the China. dynasty. So now they win gold and, uh, and, silver. and silver, and that's yeah, it. Right. <laughs> Both men and women. Well, that's very democratic. Uh, I like that. Spread yeah. the joy around. I, I like that. Do you, hey, I got a question for you on the Olympics. Do you know uh, something I didn't know? Okay. How many? Do you know how many countries are represented in the Olympics? How many countries? I do not. Okay, this is going to two hundred and six. Two hundred and six. Yes, I started looking through that the other day. I was just curious. Right. It's countries I've never heard of. Oh I sure. Mean, you know, it's probably I would sad. Be, you know, I but, guarantee you, I. Could could not name 206 No, countries. I could not either. 206 countries. Also, Brazil. I mean, I feel like they've done a pretty, I mean, considering all the... Considering all the reports we had yeah. before the game started about some of the issues they were going through, I think it's gone off pretty well so far. Yeah, me too. I think, I mean, you, you know, you heard about the Zika virus and, you know, the... Sure, and some of the problems. And some of the, you know, the setup wasn't going to be all that great. But some it, issues with the quality of the water quality in the bay. Quality of water, and, yes, <laughs> and things like that. But, I mean... And it's probably still there. But oh, I, I, it, I think, think it is. Uh, you know, the coverage of the Olympics has done Rio some justice, rightly so. I mean, they, they, that's a big challenge, I would think, to pull off. Uh, I think Olympic it totally game. is in the amount of money involved and the amount of work it takes to set these up. Now, the question is always, how does this benefit Brazil and Rio after they leave? Yeah. You know, sometimes the Olympics uh, are an incredible drag monetarily yes. of, on some of these countries' finances. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it does. I certainly hope it works out for Brazil. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think they've done a good job so far. And Any particular any... stories, athletes that you've seen that you thought were, uh, you know, I the... Uh, I can't remember her name, but the woman swimmer, I watched her. What's her name? Katie. That's not coming to my mind, but just the distance in which she performed ahead of Ledecky. the group. Yes. Yes. The, I mean, you think about these Olympics. These people have been training their entire life. These are the <clears throat> top of the line for across the country. The very best in the world. In the world. And then to see that one person that just is that much better. That just dominates. It just dominates. That just is, is bizarre. You know, this is not high school or college. I mean, these are world you know, athletes that have invested a lot of time into this. That story has been has been pretty interesting to me to watch. And then, of course, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps, who just continues his, to rack up the oh goals. And, and again, he's another dominant, dominant swimmer. Dominance. I mean, 20, I think he's 22 gold medals now. I, I believe like it's that. somewhere. Or 22 yeah. medals. 22 medals yeah. and maybe 20 golds, I think, yeah, something, something like that. crazy. I think the most medaled Olympic uh, athlete that the United States has ever had. I got a. I got another question. We have time for me to ask you something about the Olympics, or we need to. No, no, lay it on me. Let's okay, do another trivia okay. question about the Olympics. So the Olympics here. So the United States has won. This is pretty astonishing. Okay, and they've they've been in twenty six Summer Olympics. Okay, right. They won two thousand three hundred and ninety nine medals. Two thousand three hundred. So almost twenty four hundred. Almost twenty four hundred medals. Nine hundred and seventy six of those have been gold. Okay. They have not. I mean, you would think they've medaled in every sport, right? Right. Every sport. You I mean, would think. every competition they'd have twenty four hundred medals. Right. right. There are five that they have not medaled. Five competitions at all. that we haven't medaled at all. And gold, the U.S. has never medaled it. Never gold, silver, bronze, nothing. That will be interesting. Okay. What do you think they are? Oh gosh, I couldn't even begin. Yeah. To no, guess. you'll never guess. Yeah. You'll never uh, guess. Let me. Underwater basket weaving. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be some kayaking. Sports. Yeah, kayaking. I, know, so, I mean, yeah. but something like that. I mentioned one of them earlier. Okay, but one of them, badminton. Badminton never medaled in badminton. And speaking of a fascinating sport to watch, yes, watch some badminton. They, uh, they, that's pretty cool. They've never won a medal in handball. 
handball. Now, have I would have. I would have totally thought. I would have thought we would have too. I, I mean, thought, that's yeah, a little combination so, yeah. between soccer and yeah, sure. basketball. You would think. Uh, here's one, and this blew my mind. Right, and I figured you would. You could have meddled for us in this Olympics here. You know? <laughs> Rhythmic gymnastics, <laughs> of course. I mean, Rhythmic of course, gymnastics. yes. You should have been that. Of course, we talked about table tennis. I tell you what, as dominant as we are in gymnastics, I'm really surprised by yeah, that. Rhythmic, I know. Gymnastics, Rhythmic yeah. gymnastics. I don't know the difference, but uh, you know, the, I think this is something to do with ribbons. Ribbons. ribbons yeah, they have is? ribbons. Yeah, yeah right. they have the ribbons. Uh, so badminton. I mean, I'm sorry, table tennis. Table we talked tennis. about the dominance, right, the China, dominance I mean, of the, uh, and then. This one, I didn't even know this was an Olympic sport. Trampoline. Trampoline. Okay, I did not catch any of the coverage of the trampoline. <laughs> I missed the trampoline <laughs> cover. And I looked it up. I think trampoline is actually on today, I think. Oh, really? The trampoline yeah, finals. The trampoline finals. <laughs> so I don't know about oh, that. I'm that not allowed awesome. to get on trampolines. But, you know, those are the five things that we've never meddled in. Never meddled in. So yeah. there's something to aspire to, a sport, a sport? that you, uh, U.S. has never meddled in. If you're a in, young athlete out there. There you go. Think about trampoline. Get on the it trampoline your now. Future. That's right. <laughs> and I tell you, one of the stories I saw, you know, we think a lot about the golds and, uh, uh, you know, some of the stories that the uh, athletes go through just to get on that podium is unbelievable. And one of the swimmers, uh, Kathleen Baker, you know, had battled Crohn's disease and, you yeah. know, Crohn's disease, which makes you incredibly tired, makes you, you know, uh, go off your, your, your feed, so to speak. You don't want to eat yes. uh, dealing with things like that to train for an Olympic sport. Yeah. That's uh, it's just unbelievable. And they say, you know, she has the skill to have competed in several different events, but just didn't have the energy, but she didn't let that stop her. She didn't give up. Nobody expected her to medal, uh, and then she took the silver behind a really strong gold medal performance. So just an amazing story. And almost every single event, there's another story absolutely, like that. Absolutely, absolutely. From from the youth to, you know, seeing the – you're always going to have the medalist or the, at least the competitive person that's older in age. I mean, you had the guy who won the equestrian, I think. He's 50, the oldest Olympian in the Olympics this summer is 50 something years old. You got to love that. I mean, you got to love the folks that are just continuing to go. Kristen Armstrong is 43. She won, has won three straight Olympic golds in the bike time trials. This is not an easy event. The time trials. Yes. And she is 43 and has won Olympic gold in three straight Olympics. That that makes me feel a little. Well, I don't know if that makes me feel good or bad. It means I have a lot of potential that (laughs) we're not living up to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker here on Talk Money. We're here every Friday morning from 8 to 9, helping you make the most of your money. And, of course, Talk Money is brought to you by Shoemaker Financial, which has been providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service throughout the Mid-South since 1978. At Shoemaker, it is not about the plan. It's about the results. Now let's take a quick break for traffic and weather, see what is going on, and we will go come back with Chris Seabald, President and Chief Investment Officer of Advantage Capital Management, to explain to us a little bit about what's going on with the economy, what we can think about when we're looking forward to interest rate policy, uh, and how the rest of the year should play out. So stick around. We will be right back. Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, and Jason Harrington are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Advantis Capital Management and Securian Financial Services Incorporated are affiliates. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. 
Time now for the AM 990 Traffic Report, and now here's Floyd the Barber. Got a little bit of slowdown on our roadways. This report is brought to you by uh, the Foundation for a Better Life. I-55 Northbound getting over the old bridge. We're seeing a few delays over in that area, but not looking too bad. Just from uh, Clump, uh, from Crump, you're going to be slowing down uh, getting over the bridge. Also seeing 40 westbound. Uh, we're seeing heavy delays uh, from Witten Road getting over to 240 flyover, Sam Cooper. And uh, we do have a uh, distalled truck on 240 southbound near Poplar. When Marlon Shirley was five, he lost his foot. Today is the world's fastest amputee. He runs the 100 meter in less time than it takes to listen to this. Overcoming. Pass it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. I'm Floyd the Barber with traffic on AM 990. This AM 990 weathercast is brought to you by Herbie Systems Residential and Industrial Lawn Care. Call 901 382 Lawn. Almost spot on normal for temperatures today on your News Channel 3 forecast back in the lower 90s. Stray showers and thunderstorms continuing today. Heat index temperatures around 103. More showers and thunderstorms tonight. Lows in the mid to upper 70s. Showers and thunderstorms for Saturday. Highs in the mid to upper 80s. The Racket Club is proud to introduce a new wellness program, Live Well. Wellness is not a destination, it's a lifestyle. For more information, call the Racket Club today. That's a look at your latest WREG News Channel 3 forecast. I'm meteorologist Austin Onik on AM 990. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money. Good morning and welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. I'm Keith Quinn in for Jim Shoemaker here with Jason Harrington. And we have got a excellent guest on the phone, Chris Seaball, the president and chief investment officer of Advantage Capital Management, friend of the show, frequent guest, great resource. Chris, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Keith. Great to be here with you. Thank you, sir. We're always happy to have you on the show. Chris, we wanted to just jump right in and start picking your brain about some of the stuff that is going on with the economy, uh, things that we're talking about, you know, as far as interest rate policy, some of the unknowns that we have for the rest of the year. But, Chris, I wanted to start. Let's just start with the with the stock market. I had mentioned earlier that we had new all-time highs across three of the major indices yesterday, the S&P 500, Dow Jones Industrial Average, the NASDAQ. Where are we, Chris, in the, in the uh, again, in the evolution of the stock market and where we thought we would be at this point this year? Well, I think we're a little bit higher um, than, than certainly we at Advantage thought um, we might be at this time of the year. But, you know, the, the policies, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit later, uh, the Fed and other central banks are certainly having an impact on how investors are thinking about stocks. Right. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we think stocks are, are higher this year, because interest rates haven't risen. As a matter of fact, they've fallen this year. And that's uh, been a stimulant in some respects to stocks. 
Right, because Chris, I know one of the things that you know got, has gotten a lot of press, and you know, talking about the the earnings recession, five consecutive quarters potentially of, of negative earnings growth. Why have how have stocks been able to go higher? And is it primarily because of the low rates that, in spite of the decline in earnings, we've still managed to set new highs? Yeah, you know, I think um, in general, uh, investors are starting to look a little bit at at dividends, right, and. Um, while interest rates are really low, dividends on stocks continue, or I should say, uh, maybe even look a little bit more attractive than they had in the past. And we see this in parts of the stock market where the dividends are high. Right. Those sectors, in general, have have improved even more than the overall broad uh, index measures uh, this year. Uh, so things like utility stocks have had a really strong run. Um, as well as real estate in general, which tend to have more income focus. So I think investors um, are looking at that dividend, and as the dividend on even the broad S&P 500 now uh, is much higher than, let's say, broad interest rates like the U.S. 10-year Treasury, Right. it's starting to look pretty attractive to investors. Gotcha. And that that makes total sense. And Chris, you mentioned the real estate sector. So how does real estate, again, kind of uh, correlate as far as the returns we see in the stock market? And one of the things that I know you've talked about was, you know, some of the uncertainty that came around after the Brexit vote when the United Kingdom voted to leave uh, the European Union. Real estate actually held up pretty well. Why didn't it fall right along with the rest of the market? Yeah, it's a good point, um, Keith, because, um, you know, we saw the broad stock indices dropped by close to 10% uh, during that time period, and we actually saw real estate rise. Um, I think the the first linkage that we think about is that real estate, especially as reflected by U.S. REITs, has very little connection and very little economic trade interaction with what's going on in the U.K. and Europe. And that should make sense to most of the listeners out there. But the other part is that when interest rates fell as a result of that Brexit vote, um, the dividends on REITs and the stability that the cash flows from REITs generally reflect as kind of like a bond-like substitute in stocks were much more appreciated. And so we've seen this in cycles as interest rates, we clearly know, have remained low for a long time. And as a matter of fact, just in this last quarter, in part due to the Brexit vote, uh, reached new all-time lows for long-term rates that REITs uh, continue to outperform uh, very strongly in that environment. That makes total sense. And Chris, looking at the long-term rates, so we said, and we talked about it last week with with Bob Dahl, in July we had set a record close on the 10-year Treasury yield, 1.36%. But when we look at that yield and we look at some of the things that are going on in the economy, is that interest rate reflective of how well the economy is growing? Well, you know, I think there's there's two things. Overall, the economy um, right now is, has been perking up a little bit. But as we've talked, you know, over this last seven years, the economic expansion has been way weaker than anybody expected. And it's been driven by a number of big picture long-term factors. We've cited demographics uh, as being one of the major things, and then debt overhang. So those, those two things primarily have been setting the stage for lower long-term interest rates. But more recently, 
what's influenced interest rates and driven them to all-time lows has been what's going on over in Europe as well as in Japan. And as those two countries struggle to have uh, growth that's you know maybe not even half of what we have here in the U.S. and even less so in Japan, um, they continue to stimulate their economy. And the primary way they're doing it is by holding interest rates super low, way lower than they are in the U.S., and negative. And those negative rates in Europe are dragging down our rates here in the U.S. So it's, I would say it's a combination of factors. Uh, long-term, it's uh, the trajectory of growth. And short-term, um, or maybe just near-term, it's what's going on in Europe and, um, and, in, and in Asia to drag our rates down even lower than they had been. Chris, this is Jason Harrington here. Glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Got a quick question for you. I know politics have affected the in Europe and Japan and their market. Uh, we got a big political event coming up here in the United States as well. And I know that the clients ask, as we approach the election, what what kind of response can you anticipate we see in the markets, uh, post-election, pre-election? What's going to drive that? Well, I would say first is I've been somewhat surprised at how stable markets have been with um, all of the political rhetoric that's going on. And, you know, this year and this year, this election cycle seems to be, um, although uh, each election cycle seems to be a little bit more shocking, this one seems to be the most shocking in terms of what the candidates will propose as platform issues that they wish to pursue. But we all know they propose certain things, and then when it actually comes to governing, uh, they usually work a little bit differently. Right. But um, the things that concern me the most, um, the primary concern is the protectionist policies. And um, both candidates, both um, party candidates are running with an idea that they want to protect um, U.S. workers, which in many respects, um, that's admirable, and it's a good thing that we both invest in our workers. But the policies that they're putting forth, if they were to implement those types of policies, I think would have a uh, detrimental impact on growth for the U.S. And if, if a protectionist-type policy uh, gains a lot of traction um, within the political sphere, more so than just for candidates, I think that that's going to be bad for growth, and it could be bad for stocks and other risk assets in the marketplace. So I'd say that's the that's the one thing that is probably most concerning to me, because it's getting more traction in this cycle than it has in a long, long, long time. And Chris, when you're talking about protectionist policies, you're you're basically talking about tariffs on imports. Correct. And yeah, that is something we protect that certain industries, right? Um, in general, and. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot of debate about this right now, of what's the right way to manage trade uh, between the U.S. and its uh, trade partners. Um, but a broader um, impact of tariffs, I think, would be bad for our economy and uh, would put some risk on stocks more so than it. But it, it has not yet, and that's a little bit of a surprise that the talk hasn't led to more concerns in stocks. Chris, do you think that's just a function of the fact that no one is really taking the talk that seriously? As yeah. you said, there's an awful lot of things being proposed that I think a lot of us uh, just think are absolutely no chance that that ever becomes reality. 
Well, I, I hope so. I, mean, <laughs> right. I hope that it's not just no one's taking the talk seriously, but it would be great if um, we didn't ultimately take the talk seriously. Um, but um, I, I think as this election cycle moves forward, um, assuming that it remains competitive between both parties, um, that uh, some of the factors, some of the discussion items uh, that are going to be put forth as policy are going to cause more uh, volatility in stocks and risk assets in general. So our penchant is to, to, to be cautious with, you know, the combination of, you know, higher than average values in the stock market. And as you mentioned, Keith, uh, the weak earnings profile that we're seeing in terms of earnings growth and the rhetoric around trade and other issues that, in our opinion, isn't likely to be stimulative for economic growth and uh, risk assets. I think that's a great point. You know, the rhetoric is important. You know, words do matter. Uh, and I think it's a shame that people have vilified some of the things that are actually probably pretty good deals. You know, the Trans-Pacific Partnership TPP trade deal is one of the examples. Uh, I do think ultimately that's a, a good deal for the worker, but it has gotten a lot of negative press. Chris, if you can stick around, we're going to take a break, uh, come back and talk to you a little bit more uh, in depth about interest rates. Some of the things that we can look for as far as increased volatility, which is always inherent when we're investing in stocks and equities. Uh, I am Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker here on Talk Money every Friday morning from 8 to 9. Let's take a break and go to Charles Osgood for the Osgood File, and we will be right back with Chris Sebald from Advantage Capital Management. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Talk Money will return right after this. I'm Stephanie Shelton, CNBC Radio. Two major economic reports this morning. Perhaps most important for Wall Street, retail sales. They were flat last month after rising in June. Now, that could mean slower growth for the second half of the year. And it comes as Macy's announced yesterday it's closing 100 of its brick-and-mortar stores. And without auto sales, retail sales actually fell 0.3% in July. As for inflation, while well, wholesale prices slid almost half a percent last month, global economic weakness and lower energy prices bested a better U.S. labor market. Stock futures now pointing to a lower open after all three major indices set records yesterday. Crude oil prices are down a quarter of a percent. Those hated yearly performance reviews, well, another big company is ditching them, Germany's SAP, the software maker. IBM, Gap, even GE have now dropped those reviews, and GE's Jack Welsh started them. Stephanie Shelton. Napa know-how. Smartphone speakers. They're about as effective as chopping firewood with a butter knife. A rusty, dull butter knife. So pick up a wireless Bluetooth speaker at Napa for just $26.99. With a rechargeable battery, 33-foot range, and rugged waterproof case, it does the one thing your phone is terrible at. Play music. The Napa Bluetooth speaker, now just $26.99. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Offer expires 831.16. 
Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. Call InventHelp today for free information. InventHelp can submit your invention to companies who are interested in receiving new ideas. Call InventHelp today. Call 1-800-358-7816. That's 1-800-358-7816. Any statements made by our guests are not necessarily the opinion of Securian Financial Services or Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money. Good morning and welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990. I'm Keith Quinn in for Jim Shoemaker here with Jason Harrington and Chris Sebald, the Chief Investment Officer and President of Advantage Capital Management. Chris, we wanted to dig in a little bit deeper on interest rates. And what I'd like to do, if you could, you know, we talk an awful lot about monetary policy, the impact that's having on the market, the potential impact it would have on stocks. And I think a lot of times we forget that some of these terms aren't terms that, you know, a lot of our listeners may be familiar with. So just starting with the basics and thinking about what the central banks are doing, the European Central Bank, Bank of Japan, Bank of England, we talk about quantitative easing. We talk about bond buyback programs. Chris, can you kind of explain uh, to our listeners what that really means and why they're doing that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and this has a, a a big impact on what's going on with interest rates and what the listeners should be thinking about for things like auto loan rates, right, and mortgage rates, and and even you know at their own bank. Um, deposit rates that they might expect to get, um, because when the Fed sets that rate, it unravels in the economy and the financial sector in all of these other aspects for both saving and borrowing. Um, so the Fed, um, at at its core, is trying to set the right rate uh, to to have the economy perform well and have employment uh, be relatively strong. Right. Um, But what's happened is that because economies outside the U.S. are doing poorly, and as our overall global economy has naturally become quite a bit more linked over the years, that what happens in other countries affects what happens here in the U.S., and as these other countries, you know, haven't performed as well, for instance, like the unemployment rate across Europe is somewhere north of 10%. I think it's around 12-ish in general. And ours here in the U.S. is under 5%. Right. Um, that high unemployment rate has generated more stagnant growth in Europe, and it's caused them to lower their interest rates to, to levels that we thought weren't even practical. Just a couple of years ago, like the ECB's uh, rate is at minus 0.4% right now. But that by itself isn't even necessarily enough to stimulate their economy. So they're doing a couple more things. They're stepping into their, their markets and they're buying bonds on you know the uh, government bonds around the entire European system, like German government bonds and French government bonds and Italian, and then they're also buying the bonds of corporate companies to try to drive those interest rates lower on areas of the what we call the yield curve, right. like longer term, like mortgage rates will be influenced, driving those longer term rates lower 
to try to further stimulate growth with cheaper borrowing. And Chris, I want to drill down just a little bit. So when you tell our listeners that they are paying negative 0.4%, so what does that mean? If I'm a bank and I turn around and give them money, they're charging me to put money at their bank? Well, so far that hasn't happened uh, very, very much. So in Europe, um, what's happened is they've primarily been charging corporate depositors. So you're exactly right. If a corporate depositor gives the bank, let's say, $100,000, then the bank in a year will give them back less than $100,000 because they'll, you know, they won't be, they'll be charging a negative interest rate. Um, So far, that hasn't happened for depositors, um, for individual households, or for individual investors, um, specifically at balances less than 100000 There was a bank, and I just read about this uh, recently, that did start charging households and depositors uh, to hold money at the bank. And this is a natural consequence when the uh, central bank is driving rates down low. There's only so long that they can hold out from sharing that burden with all of their depositors and all of the uh, banking clients. That that seems counterproductive to me. It seems like uh, <laughs> counterintuitive, up, right? Yeah, so, you end up having more money not going to the bank, and the bank I know needs deposits to happen in order to keep it going around. But it well, what's like happened though is because you know, and, and it's hard for policymakers to be sure what the uh, what the consumers are going to do when they're faced with these decisions. And what they've found is more recently is that um, it's different than what we'd expected. Consumers are actually saving more because they take this as a signal that, you know, I'm not likely to get a higher increase in my wage. I'm not likely to have maybe a long-term employment circumstance. Um, And so I better save more for retirement than less, even though I'm making less or making nothing on it. Wow. That is an interesting world that we live in. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is really where we are. So what's going on in Europe is is influencing what's going on here in the states for sure because you know, we've had we've seen a number of economic factors improve in this second quarter. But at the same time, like you mentioned from last week's call that uh, you were talking about interest rates hitting on all-time low. And that's because of the the linkage in our economy globally is has become way more important than it had been in the past. Right. Chris, as you look at uh, interest rates, we've been talking about that. You look at its impact on the stock market. You mentioned earlier just we've become more globally connected uh, and, the, and the things that happen, policies that happen overseas and how they affect the United States. Do you see, uh, when you guys are working, do you see any changes happening in conventional uh, portfolio modeling. When someone says we need to have ten percent or five percent in in overseas or international investing, or when you have twenty percent in value stock, I mean, are you seeing the economy changing to where the the conventional model portfolios that have been around for a long, long time are starting to to change a little bit? Well, I would say that you know clearly the disappointment in returns for. Uh, international stocks, non-U.S., emerging markets, and so forth, has caused uh, a lot more questions about portfolio allocation. Um, You know, my opinion in general on that is this is likely a cycle, um, cyclical as it relates to domestic versus global 
Right. And we're we're going to go through those. We've been through those time and time again. Now, I think the the issue that is a little bit different this time, uh, primarily because interest rates are so low, is that for the longest time, investors had depended on having uh, some aspect of bonds in their portfolio provide not only the stability and the counterbalance against uh, stocks when we entered a recession or we were in um, a correction uh, in the stock market. And those bonds would provide that, that counterbalance and protection because typically they would rise or stay, remain stable. But they would also provide income. And in today's environment, with rates so low, they provide the former, but there's very little in terms of the balance that they, you know, traditionally that they provide in the latter. So we see um, more and more customers trying to answer the question: How do I, how do I maintain my stock balance without the counterbalance um, of income that rises out of the fixed income portfolio? And I'd say that's the biggest burning question that we see from most um, retail investors and some of the advisors that we're working with. Yeah, that's a great. That's that's what I was thinking about. I've had that question before pop up in the office. You know how you know typically the most of the investors that we work with understand that relationship that right. they should have some bonds, but you know the bonds just aren't doing what you know they're not providing that offset. So do we make some changes? And then that's I know that's a confusing time for some people out there listening and. I was curious as to your take on that. Well, Chris, I do want to ask you one last thing, and then we'll let you go. And we so appreciate your time. Always a great resource, and I appreciate the knowledge that you share with our listeners. So we were talking a little bit about Europe. We're talking about the uncertainty. Obviously, we still haven't resolved the uncertainty surrounding the Brexit. As I understand it, you know, they haven't invoked Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, aren't likely to this year, but that would start the formal process of negotiating all of the trade deals, uh, what's going to happen to the European workers that are actually living in the United Kingdom, things like that. But something else that we talk about is the European banking system. So should we be concerned, and that seems to be the next headline that's kind of on the horizon, should we be concerned with what's going on with the Italian banking system? You know, you're right, Keith, um, that there's, uh, there's a big non-performing or bad loan problem in uh, the Italian banks. Um, and this has gotten a lot of headlines in the last month or so. Um, but I guess what, I, what I'm thinking about um, and reminded of is that the crisis that we saw in the European Union and the European financial sector and in banks in general that occurred back in, I think, 2011, um, you know, they put a patch on that. And that patch was to be more integrated, and they had this thing called the European Stability Mechanism. Um, nothing really changed overall. So we're seeing this highlight in, uh, in Italian banks and clearly, I don't think we would make any recommendation for investors to go and invest in Italian banks. <laughs> um, we're, we're not recommending that at all. Um, but the, the overall economic system in Europe has been buoyed by their central bank. Right. And although we have some concerns about that staying power of that, um, they do have some more mechanisms, I think, that they could pull to to provide that stability. Now, underlying all of these issues isn't a great fundamental framework. And uh, ultimately, long-term, there's going to have to be 
some some real fix as it relates to charging off those loans and reflecting the losses and for the investors either in the, the equity you know the um, equity portion of the banks and perhaps in the debt to take some losses but Europe has has demonstrated way more resilience in its financial sector than most of us would have guessed four or five years ago. Right. And I would expect that they have some more things that they can do in the near term to hold this together um, and not necessarily create a a cascading uh, waterfall among all or other European financial sector um, exposures as well. And that's excellent. And that's ultimately what we want. You know, you do not want to see the domino effect of something going wrong. And I think, uh, you know, Chris, and I think you've said that one of the differences between now and 2008 is if you're, you know, dealing with the banking system now, we kind of know what we're getting. You know, were we to buy an Italian bank? And again, certainly not recommending that. You understand that there are a lot of the non-performing loans, unlike in 2008 when we weren't that clear about what the strength of the balance sheets actually were. I think that's an excellent point, Keith. The transparency about these risks is a lot higher than it was before. Excellent. Well, Chris, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. We have certainly appreciated it. I know our listeners have benefited from your knowledge. We appreciate your willingness to share that with us. And again, thank you so much. Keith and Jason, it was awesome being a part of your show today. Good luck and have fun for the rest of the the hour. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. I am Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker. We're here every Friday morning, and of course you can always listen to us in one of four ways. You can go on to the radio, listen to us at AM 990. Go onto the internet, search for our homepage, kwam990.com. You can go to the app store, search for our free mobile app, kwam990, and download that and listen to us on your mobile device. Or finally, you can go to iTunes or Podbean, search for Shoemaker Financial, and listen to a pre-recorded show on a podcast. We're going to take a pre- uh, quick break go to the mid-south history moment with rebecca Bershear, and we will be right back with jason harrington and some things we need to be thinking about as we count down to retirement this material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results research investment advice or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Talk Money will return. Back when present-day Tennessee was claimed by North Carolina, the Chickasaw Indian tribe owned the land along the Mississippi River Bluff. The Indians allowed settlers to live on their grounds and later sold the land to Andrew Jackson, John Overton, and James Winchester. Their plans for the incorporation of the land into a city did not sit well with the settlers, who were unwilling to go along with newcomers from the east. The settlers needed a strong spokesman from their own ranks if they were to have any say over the future of their community. Fortune smiled upon the settlers when Isaac Rawlings emerged as their leader and persuaded Jackson, Overton, and Winchester to accept a compromise and leave the outlying areas outside the new city. This victory made Rawlings an important figure in Memphis politics for many years. His prestige and reputation allowed him to win several easy victories in the earliest mayoral races and yet remained true to his humble frontier beginnings. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. 
If you have financial questions that you would like answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning and welcome back to Talk Money. Clearly, I am not Jim Shoemaker. I'm Keith Quinn sitting in for Jim. Jim is, again, the hardest working man in show business out of the office today and out of pocket. I am here with Jason Harrington, a managing director at Shoemaker Financial. And I did want to let everyone know that we do have an upcoming event, Bold Steps to Advance Your Business. This would be designed for business owners. It's a great way to think through some of the issues they deal with on a daily basis. This will be on Thursday, August 18th, 7.30 to 8.30. Breakfast will be provided. This is being held at our firm, Shoemaker Financial, and you can RSVP to 901-757-5757. Again, that is for business owners, Bold Steps to Advance Your Business, August 18th, 7.30 to 8.30. 901-757-5757. Jason, we were talking about some of the things we need to think about as we count down to retirement. So where do we start when we're going through this thought process? Where do you start? I think, where you know, start? most people are, are going to start thinking about this. If you're not thinking about it now, five, three to five years prior to retirement, you're really starting to to hone in on that. Starting to you sweat know, it a little starting bit. Starting to sweat yeah. a little bit. You're starting to ask questions. And I think one of the things, the, fr- the first question that you should ask if you're in that time frame is what your expectations are in retirement. And that's twofold. Okay. One, what are your expectations for income? What are your expectations for What do you think you need to spend in retirement? How much you're going to spend in retirement. Correct. Okay. How much are you going to spend in retirement? What are my expectations? The statistics show that far too many people out there uh, don't really know that. The answer to that question, 52%, according to a survey done by Fidelity in 2015, says they really have no idea what type of income they would expect to receive in retirement. 52, so more than half of the people than haven't half. thought about how much income they're going to need in retirement. Or they, or they don't know. Or don't know they how don't much know. income they're going to need in retirement. Uh, and 60% either don't know or are unsure. Right. So the first thing you need to do is take a look at what kind of income expectations might we have. You know, Social Security, pension, how are my assets going to produce income for me? Uh, the other question you have to ask is what are your expectations for living? You know, that's going to be a bit of an adjustment. Many people are going to have, uh, if they've worked, you know, eight hours a day, 10 hours a day for the last 30, 40 years of their life. So and how now, are you going to fill that time? How are you going to fill up that time? And that there's an adjustment period to that. There's a bit of guessing to that because they, frankly, they don't know yet. I mean, sure. They're have to learn that in retirement. There'll be a little bit of adjustment time on that. But uh, they And I saw, I saw another really interesting one talking about the income. That 46% of people, and again, I didn't know that, that we'd think about it this way, spend more annually in their first two years of retiring than they did before they were retired, when Absolutely. they were still working. And Absolutely. I think most people always think about, well, my income needs are going to go down in retirement. I won't need as much as I needed before. And that's just not the case in a lot it's, of cases. It's not the case. I think you find just practically in working with with clients, I was talking to a, a couple about this yesterday. I think people will have a tendency to go in one of two directions when they first retire, and it's usually at both both ends of the spectrum from an extreme standpoint. They'll look at this big block of money they've accumulated over time and right. have this feeling that they can just do at all. They're going to enjoy uh, it. And they're going to enjoy they've it. They've earned it. And then they've earned it, and they're going to spend it. So they spend a lot more money than they think they do in the first couple of years. Or you see the people who go in the opposite into the direction and uh, into the spectrum, and they they live really, really, really too frugally in their first couple of years because there there's some fear there. They haven't done the calculations. They don't really know how much they should spend. So 
so you will see that. It's not uncommon for people to spend more in that first couple of years. But, you know, people need to ask where they plan to live. Uh, you know, what are the things that they want to, they're going to want to do on a daily basis? Uh, and it's healthy to start thinking about these things in that pre-retirement age because you don't want to make those decisions day one, uh, your your first day right after you get your gold watch and it's your first day, uh, you know, in retirement, start trying to make these decisions of now, what are we going to do? Well, and I think you said, you know, these decisions could be incredibly impactful. And it, uh, it seemed to emphasize to me that a couple things, everyone's situation is going to be different. So what you plan to do in retirement is going to be totally different, you know, from person to person. Absolutely. My dad will work all day long out in the woods, you know, hard physical work. I'm more likely to be on the golf course yeah, yeah, doing something too. a little yeah. bit like that. Out of the sun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mine might be a little <laughs> more expensive than his, but, uh, you know, that's just the way we're hardwired. So when you do that, you know, how do you help clients think through that and start planning for this? Well, a lot of it is in conversation. I mean, most people, when they define retirement, Keith, a very common answer we get, and I bet the uh, listeners out there can relate to this. If they were to be asked today, what do you want retirement to look like? Right. The most common answer we get is that I want to live comfortably. Comfortably. And the the first step is to peel that answer back a little bit. What does that mean? You know, what does comfortably mean? Right. You know, that's going to mean something different, obviously, as you said, for you sure. and your dad. That's going to be something very different for everyone out there. So the first step is to really explore you know, that retirement. And most people either have a vision in their mind based on someone they've seen, maybe their parents' retirement. I want it to be like that or not like that. Right. Uh, and so you start kind of in this banter back and forth, creating a visual picture of what it may look like. And we can put a dollar value on that. And do you find sometimes that when couples start talking about this, they may have kind of two different views of what retirement looks like? One hundred percent. Absolutely. Travel expectations are different. Living expectations are different. The amount of time we're going to spend visiting kids and grandkids, uh, you know, all of that stuff. Are we going to eat out uh, for meals or are we going to eat in for meals? A lot of those things are very, very different. And that's a good, healthy, you know, Keith, it's interesting you mentioned that because some of this uncertainty in retirement, you find statistically can start to put a strain on some relationships. I'm sure it would. And, the, and these people have been married for, you know, 30 years, 40 years going into retirement. And now they're having some, you know, conflict over money that they've never had before. And so because they both had their set roles for that entire that, that time, time. And now they're looking at something totally, different. totally different. So life, uh, life definitely changed that time. So it's a good we play a, a huge role in that counseling process when we're talking to our clients to get them to you know, engage in that conversation that they really haven't had, or they've had it on a surface level. Gotcha. So, and I've always said, you know, as planners, part of our job is basically to be a counselor, to counsel people through this and help them to understand it. So let's assume that you've thought about that. You know what you want to do. How do you know if you have enough? You know, there, there are a, a bunch of ways that you can figure out how you have, if you have enough. I mean, they, uh, the statistics will show again in another study done by uh, Fidelity that, you know, right now the baby boomers that are about to retire have about 81% of their retirement needs covered. Which is not bad. And that, that's not bad. Yeah. Now, what that does is that basically covers your basic living expenses. It doesn't give you the freedom to have some of these 
uh, luxuries that you may be envisioning in your retirement years, the golf that you mentioned, or right. the, you know, the travel the trips the or trips the, yeah, right. and things like that. So, so it's important to start asking that question, will I have enough and, and take some measures to do it. And one of the ways you can is to start to try to monetize or put a dollar value on what this quote unquote lifestyle will look like. And there's some, some actuarial or statistical numbers that you can use to help yourself out. But, uh, if not, then uh, if you're going to be on track, then great. If not, then we can save some more uh, and start maybe looking at how your investments are allocated and can we get some better performance out of that. Uh, the other thing is they may have to work longer. And that's one of the things, and I think, again, that's one of the things that we will try to do. We're not going to sugarcoat it, we're not going to tell you that you're going to have enough money because you're going to get a 15% rate of return because you're not going to get a 15% Absolutely rate not. of return. So sometimes, yeah, you have to face the hard truths. You may need to save more, cut spending, work a little longer, a lot of the things that you would have to do. But understanding where you're going lets you plan for those things. That's right. And some of these, if, if some of our listeners are in that two to three years prior to retirement, some of the saving aspect may not be a realistic and they need to save more, but they may not have that big of impact just based on time. Uh, they would be very surprised to see the power of working one more year on their assets. That Excellent advice. You know, know where you're going, figure out your plan, think about what it looks like and figure out how much you've got. And is that enough to fund that? And reach out to us if you would like to speak with an advisor. Always feel free to call Shoemaker Financial, 901 757 5757. Uh, we would be happy to set up an appointment, and we've got a lot of quality guys that would love to sit down and talk with you. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we would love to do that, and you know, it doesn't take it doesn't take the amount of time that most people think. I mean, this is some, this is the language we talk on a daily basis. Uh, absolutely, Jason Harrington. Yes, thank you thank so you much too. for being here. Great job, managing director at Shoemaker Financial. Please join us next week when we will have Kurt Zarnowski of Zarnowski Consulting to talk about Social Security, along with Scott Jordan from Shoemaker Financial. I want to thank everyone who works on the show and does a great job every week. John McCommon, our producer and board operator who does not get enough credit. Francis Fortner, our guest coordinator, our production assistant Eleanor Moskovitz, our compliance officer. Jim Shoemaker, Drew Johnson, and Rebecca Brashear, who do the Mid-South History Moment. Until next week, I'm Keith Quinn. We'll Jim help Shoemaker, you make the Keith most Quinn of your Jason money. Jason Harrington are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Advantage Capital Management. Serving Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas. The latest news stories are here. This is AM 990 KWAM Memphis.